Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. Our Creator God, who is sovereign, do not want the man to be super Christian. He wants them to depend upon him. We can learn an important, valuable lesson from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who many consider to be a super saint. After all, he went to the third heaven. But Paul reminds us in his letters that God's strength can best be demonstrated in our weakness. <coughs> we can also learn, contrary to the often non-biblical translation, God will put more on you than you can bear. So you depend upon him. And this brings us to our text. Moses had just experienced the presence and the glory of God, the Almighty. But when God assigned Moses to perform, to perform what he considered mission impossible, Moses began to make excuses. Now, let me just say this as a caveat. Moses has often been criticized because of his excuses. Why don't you put yourself in Moses' shoes? Put yourself in his position. He had to flee from Egypt as a justice, a fugitive of justice. Egypt, after all, was the most powerful nation in the world with the Pharaoh, who was the king, the most powerful man in the world. In addition to that, Moses was not popular among his own people. In fact, it was one of his Hebrew brothers that was the cause that he had to flee when his crime of murder was exposed. So when God told Moses to return to Egypt, Moses had several concerns. How, how can one man, what can one man do against hundreds of thousands of Egyptian soldiers and their mighty armies? And how can one man convince millions of Jewish fellows and their leaders to follow him? And lastly, how in the world am I going to lead all this Part of millions of people out of Egypt. Where are we going to go? After all, Moses was a happily married man. Going back to Egypt was not on his agenda, was not in his plan. But he had just had an encounter with God. Moses faced a decision that every Christian man will face and that is will you do what God has commanded you to do and how you respond to this question will determine your destiny 
But take heart. God understands our reluctance. He understands our hesitation. So he gives us the same advice he gave to Moses. Despite your limitation, use what you got. Moses' encounter starts with a miracle sighting. He saw a bush burning with fire on the mountainside. This was not an unusual sight because an animal that was running over a rock could spark and set the dry brush. Or lightning could have struck a bush and burned. But what was amazing is that the bush did not burn. And I imagine Moses looked at it a long time. And this is what caught his attention. So he stopped what he was doing. And he turned aside and headed toward the mountain to investigate this miracle up close and personal. I invite you to join me now in Exodus. Chapter 3, verse 4. Exodus chapter 3, verse 4. When Moses saw that, he turned aside. Can I stop right there a minute? Because a lot of times in life, what should follow, don't follow because we don't turn aside. Turn aside means he turned around. He stopped what he was doing and focused on what God was doing. He turned aside to look. God called him from the midst of the bush. God will not call you until you turn aside. And he said, Moses, Moses, he said, here am I. As strange as this sight of this burning bush was, was it, and enough as it was to bother the mind, Mer Moses then heard a strange voice calling him by name. This meant that it was a personal encounter. And by repeating the name twice, it signifies that what is going to follow is very serious. Let's look at verse 5 now. And he said, do not come here. Remove your sandals from your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Moses was told to stop in your track. And he was warned not to proceed any further until he removed his shoes. He was standing on holy ground. Say what? This word ground really is Adam. The same word as the individual we are talking about in faith development about Adam, the first man. It basically means land or soil, or as Mama Thorpe would say, dirt. It was no more than common, ordinary dirt. What made this dirt holy was the presence of God. We're going to learn from this something that a lot of people really don't want to acknowledge. 
You can't come into the presence of God any old way. Oh, we understand that under grace, the veil has been torn, and we can enter into his presence boldly. But God is still holy. And he desires to be approached as such, holy. Sandals were the filthiest part of the dress of a man or woman of that day. As they walked in the streets of Palestine and Asia Minor, dirt, dust, and animal waste were clinging to the bottom of their shoe. By removing his sandals, it put Moses in a proper position that he was clean and undefiled. And once he was in a proper position, then God began to give him his assignment. In other words, we're going to have to get ourselves in proper position with God through Jesus before he assigns us to the task. Verse 6, chapter 3. He said also, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The creator of the universe first identified himself as Moses' father. By naming Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he established a covenant relationship with Moses and the nation of Israel. Think with me, if you, if you look back at, here's this strange voice calling my name. He has to know all about me, yet I know nothing about him. And here's what he said in verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt. And I have given heed to their cries because of their taskmaster. For I am aware of their suffering. Israel had been enslaved by the Egyptians for over 400 years. And this is for somebody here that may be going through something. But God had heard their cries. How long had they been crying out? Probably 400 years. God said he not only heard, but he also saw. And he was aware. This means that God cares. And even though you may be going through something, the hardship and constant is constant and real. God is still concerned about you because he's concerned about his people. Nothing get past God. But we've been learning something on Wednesday night. God does nothing without purpose. His timing may not be our timing, but it's perfect timing for God's purpose. It was now time. And Moses was at the center of God's purpose. Verse 8. I want you to get this now. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Now, if I had been me up there on that mountain, 
And God said, I've come down. I said, okay, God, you come down, you go ahead. No, I wouldn't either, but it just sounded good. But if he said he'd come down, it looks like he ought to do the work. But the phrase, I have come down, was just an assurance that the almighty God had taken note of the misery of his chosen people because of the covenant relationship and the promise to Abraham. Hear me now. Here's what God said. God would not only liberate them from that bondage, but he would also elevate them to a new dwelling place where they would prosper. Right now, these people had been in the mud pit making bricks. But God promised to elevate them to a place to where they were going to have houses that didn't build, vineyards that they didn't plant. And it was Moses whom God had chosen to accomplish his mission, to break the power of Pharaoh and to lead his people to the promised land. Look with me at 310. Therefore now, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the son of Israel, out of Egypt. I imagine in my mind that Moses was okay when God said, I will come down. But now he's given the sign, I'm going to send you. God's instruction was clear. There was no confusion in it. I'm going to send you. I'll give you the mission. But Moses had some reservation. And in his reservation, he asked two questions that I want to present to the church today. Because these questions are pivotal to us. Because I think when God gets ready to assign us to an assignment, in our mind, we ask these same two questions. The first question was concerning the Egyptians. Remember, this is the mightiest army in the world. Here's what he said in chapter 3, verse 11 of Exodus. And Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the son of Israel out of Egypt? Moses was looking at his own capability instead of God's. It was indeed a mission impossible, but with God, all things are possible. If God has called you to it, he will take you through it. Verse 12, and he says, certainly I will be with you. That sounds real good, don't it? And this shall be the sign to you. That sounds even better. That it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt. Whoa, wait a minute. You giving me a sign, but I ain't going to see it until after I complete my mission. He said, what's going to happen? You're going to worship me at this mountain, and then you'll know that it was I that brought you over. See, a lot of times we want the sign beforehand. God said, I'm going to give you the sign after it. God addressed Moses 
opposition with the assurance that he will be with him. And you're going to know it after the victory. You're going to worship. They hadn't worshipped Jehovah, Jehovah in 400 years. You're going to worship me at this mountain. Then you will know. The second question concerning the Hebrews. We're going to chapter 4. First of all, I want to encourage you guys to read all of chapter 3, all of chapter 4. You get the full picture uh, about some of the things that's going to take place. Chapter 4, verse 1. Again, concerning the Hebrews. Then Moses said, his own people now. What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. What if? What if? What if it caused mere Christian men not to reach their full potential? Moses voices complaint about being assigned to take the, the people out of Israel based on his own inadequacy. He was focused on fear and not faith. Now let's look at God's response. Verse 2, chapter 4. And the Lord said to me, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? I'm going to stop right there. God answered Moses' question, two questions, one. He basically asked Moses, what's your God in your hand? Human hands are tools of work. God was saying, work with what you got. Moses said, a staff. Moses had a staff in his hand. Some translation calls it a rod. That's fine. But it was the tool of Moses' trade. Moses was a shepherd. Moses had been a shepherd for over 40 years. And he was good with his trade. Cecil B. DeMille's production of the Ten Commandments shows a scene that's not in the Bible, not defined like that, but some historians believe it might have been true when, when uh, the, the daughters of Jethro came down to get water. Moses was there to protect them, and Moses used that staff to beat off these Midianites. Moses was good with this staff, and so God said, what you got? A staff, use what you got. Now that staff was used for many purposes, support and as a weapon. Let's think about this. What's a staff? What's a rod? It's nothing more than a piece of wood. It's a stick. But it was all that Moses had. God used a stick, which was all that Moses had to teach him and us a very important lesson. God can use ordinary, insufficient things to achieve his sufficient and extraordinary purpose. Say it again. God can use ordinary, insufficient things to achieve his sufficient and extraordinary purpose. He can use what you got to build his kingdom. God took what Moses had and used it in a mighty way and he can do the same with each one of us here today. 
in several instances, again, this staff is called the rod of the staff of God. In Moses' hand, that stick became an instrument by which God used Moses to display his divine power and his authority. What was in Moses' hand was used to bring eight of the ten plagues upon Egypt. There was only two exceptions. The death of the cow and the death of the firstborn. Now the reason God was using those, he wanted to make a distinction between Israel or the Hebrews and the Egyptians. Now all the other plagues affected everybody in Egypt. But those two only affected the Egyptians. So what? What does all this mean to us? The staff in Moses' hand was all that Moses had, but it was enough. In addition to the ten plagues, Moses used the staff to part the Red Sea. When Pharaoh's army had them backed up to the wall. And the people were complaining to Moses. And Moses cried out to the Lord. The Lord said, what you calling on me for? Use what you got. Stretch out your rod. And see the salvation of the Lord. That rod in Moses' hand was used to bring water from a rock. Twice. But the second time that Moses brought water from the rock was not in the will of God. And it cost Moses something. Likewise, many men today are empowered with the gifts that God has given you for his glory, but you're using it inappropriately. It's amazing to me how we can do everything we want to do during the week, on time, in a professional way, but when it comes to the thing of God, we balk. Anything goes. If we report to work like we come to church, many of us be fired right now. Yet that thing that you got that gave you employment can be used for God. It should be used for God. Some theologians believe Moses' rod represents the kingdom. Others see Moses' rod as a foreshadow of Christ's cross. Both theories make sense. Men, if you're a Christian, God has an assignment for you. Don't be concerned about your lack of this or your lack of that, use what you got. Man, if you're not a Christian, God has an assignment for you. Don't be concerned about your past. Use what you got. The only thing you got is your life. Your life is in your hand. But if you give your life to Jesus, you put your life in his hand. And then Jesus can use what you got.
What did you have? What has God gifted you with? And you have to ask yourself a question. Am I using it for God? It's no longer time for begging, for crying, for people to get work in ministry. God has already provided everything he needs, men and women. The problem is you. You may not have much in your eyes, but you ought to use what you got. Let us stand. I've been pastoring long, longer than I've been. I spent time in the Air Force. But I do know this. I had to make a commitment to the Air Force before I served. And we're going to have to learn, for those that are not saved, you're going to have to make a commitment to Christ. And this is nothing about joining the church. This is everything about you making a commitment to go visit that burning bush in your life. That thing that you don't understand. And turn aside to God. He will take off his shoes. He will clean you Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information, service times, or directions to our place of worship.